All right. Good. Well, uh, if you have a Bible, grab it. Go to Luke chapter 11. Uh, that's where we're going to be. We're going through the gospel according to Luke. Um, there are Bibles in the back. If you don't own a Bible, we'd love to give you that. It's our gift to you uh, as uh, we just have been enjoying and loving uh, what Jesus is teaching us through uh, specifically prayer. And uh, here's, here's one thing I, I just want to kind of lead into as we kind of open up Luke chapter 11 and learn the Lord's Prayer and see what Jesus has to teach us in the Lord's Prayer. Um, number one is I've been so encouraged at how God is working among you. Uh, just hearing amazing stories, really stunning stories as to how you're reorganizing your schedule, how you're waking up early, how you're sitting at his feet, and how you're laboring in prayer, and how God is maybe warming up in you some new spiritual disciplines you didn't used to have. So we praise God for that. We're thankful for that. So we pray he just continues to work in that way and continues to work in your mind, heart, and soul in that way. Uh, we give great joy for that. Um, the other thing I just wanted to mention um, if you're, you're new to the things of God or this is your first time or you're not a Christian, um, we really see this gathering as a gift. So uh, we, we long to be here. We don't come and participate in this because we believe it earns righteousness before God or because uh, by somehow doing a ritualistic activity our morality changes and grows and shifts. We believe that we see this as a gift, that we long to come here, that we're not forced to be here, that to worship God is a privilege, that to sit under God's word is a gift. And so uh, we're thrilled to be together to sing praises, to take the Lord's Supper, to pray to Him, to confess Him, because God's eager to forgive. We're not terrified to confess sins to a God because of what He did through the personal work of His Son, Jesus. And we love the Bible. We love to teach the Scriptures. So uh, that's what you're going to hear this morning, is you're going to hear the Scriptures. So open up to Luke chapter 11. We've been walking through the Gospel according to Luke. It's been a, a great series. We've been seeing this uh, book really kind of fit together. So uh, you know what we say, you can always pull and twinge verses from everywhere, but you've got to stay tethered to what the Bible is saying. So we've been seeing what this writer, Luke, this physician who walked with Paul, he understood the things of God. He was a physician, a doctor by trade. He's writing to this Roman official, convincing him and laying before him that the teachings of Jesus and the life of Jesus should transform you, not just be factual. Okay, so he's lining up this whole kind of dissertation for him, lining up all the facts. He's including a lot of things that other gospel writers have, some things that other gospel writers don't have for our joy. So we would see Jesus and be made new, okay. Jesus is not about training behavior in you. He's about making you a new creation. So that's what we're going to see here is he's now showing us how we should pray. And we learned last week, if you weren't here last week, you've got to listen to last week because all of this builds in this prayer. It's really hard to kind of jump in the middle. We're taking three weeks uh, looking at the Lord's Prayer. So last week we looked at, um, Father, uh, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. And then this week we're looking at, hey, give us our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive others. Don't lead us into temptation. Next week we're going to see how all of that prepares us to pray bold prayers. How understanding that is your refuge and foundation will give you the ability to actually make bold pleas before the sovereign God of the universe. So um, listen, as we, as we jump in, I know there's no one in this room, if you have any Christian or church background going, well, what do you mean I'm supposed to pray? Right? I mean, all of us know that, we just stink at it. Right? I mean, if, if we're honest, most of us, we said last week, no matter where you are on the chart, we can all humbly grow in this. So here's my hope. It's not to guilt you into praying or tell you what you already know. It's to warm up in you a love and desire to see that you must pray, that you are desperate to pray because you have nothing apart from him. So he is fully sufficient, he's infinitely wealthy, and he has all things, you have nothing. So if we don't pray, we don't beg, we don't cry out, we don't plead, we're not going to get anything done, we're not going to accomplish anything, we're not going to see him grow in our hearts. It is a mandate, not because you should or because you should feel guilty, but because you can't last without it as a Christian, right? So, so we want God to give us joy in prayer. 
Uh, so that means some of you guys getting on the track and starting prayer. And some of that use it means, hey, let's continue growing in prayer. Some of that means, hey, shifting how you think and understand prayer. Uh, but that's what we're praying that God would do. So let's ask him. Let's ask him to do that. God, we need the Holy Spirit of God to show up. We need you to work and move in our hearts, God. We are dull to the things of you. We have so many things even right now vying for attention. Even my own mind is thinking of other things. God, would you give us clarity? Would you show us the beauty that is in Jesus and the beauty that is your name, the beauty that there is in communion with you through prayer, through conversation with you? God, mold and shape this church, these people, into a people who love your renown, love to exalt your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Luke chapter 11. We're going to be, let's just kind of read through this prayer. And then uh, we're going to kind of look at just verses 3 and 4 today, uh, going off of last week. So uh, Luke chapter 11 is where we're going to be. Let's pick it up in the beginning, if I can find it. All right. Probably be a good thing if I knew where Luke 11 was as a preacher. Okay, here we go. Luke chapter 11. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. We saw out of the gate that's so encouraging. The disciples of Jesus himself were asking, hey, teach me how to pray. Okay, so you're in good company. If you're like, I don't know how to pray, I stink at prayer, join the disciples' team. Okay, they're, they're with us. They've seen Jesus pray. They've seen him draw away, pull back. They've seen him in isolation, in private communion with the Father. They've eavesdropped on the Trinitarian God conversation. So here they're going, hey, can you teach us how to do that? Right? There's a humble posture. There's an eager posture, a teachable posture. And he says, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive everyone who's indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend... Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. For the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. Verse 11. What father among you, if a son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? All right, so here, here's where we, we got to get, um, uh, starting last week. He begins with, when you pray, approach him as dad. Approach him as father, right? I mean, that, that's beautiful. That's invitation. That's, that's come to me. That's, that's, hey, you can approach me as Abba, as one who's intimate. I'm not far off. I'm not distant. I love my kids. I love hearing from my children. So uh, we talked about how some of you guys maybe experienced some just bad households growing up where your dad was kind of dismissive or he was angry or he kind of just was bothered by your presence, this isn't the God of the Bible. We can approach him willingly, confidently if we are in Christ by calling him dad, by calling him father, right? How we are not aimless, he takes note of us. And then, and then I love how he shifted from, hey, to keep you from being just too casual about him as dad, you got to remember that his name is to be hallowed. Right, that the one you're speaking to is so set apart, he's so sacred, right? The weight and beauty of the one you're speaking to has to fall appropriately on your soul, right? Because if you're, if you're going to him, if you're going to enter the throne room of heaven because of Jesus Christ, it's amazing this kind of seeming paradox. You approach him as dad, yet his weight, beauty, and worth is just inexhaustible. 
right? He's infinitely wealthy, so you are desperate for him. You realize that his sufficiency is what you have to have, right? So his name is to be hallowed. It's to be celebrated, exalted. And then we saw. prayer is God-centered. This whole prayer is fixed on and focused on him and what he's about and what he's doing. And, and we saw in that, just to catch us up to speed, there are three maybe hindrances to your prayer life based upon Jesus rolling out this prayer. The first one is maybe you don't pray because you have a sincere, total misunderstanding of God's affection for you as dad. Right? When you think of dad, you think approaching him means he wants to punish you, destroy you, or just point things out that you don't want him to point out. Maybe your home life was just constant, delicate peace, tiptoeing on eggshells. That's not the God of the scriptures. God of the scriptures says, come to me, I'm eager to listen to you. I'm eager to sit you on my lap. I sing over you, I shout over you. I love to listen to your needs and your wants and your cares. Amazing. Um, and, and then... The other hindrance maybe is just simply your pride, <laughs> right? You, you bought this illusion of control in your life where, where nothing but culture and life around you just bolsters those things in you. So you think that you've got it all locked down, that you can kind of take care of your own marriage. You can kind of take care of your own Christianity and I don't need other people. I don't need him. I don't need to beg and plead for his sufficiency or his strength or any of that. So I'm, I'm good on my own. And that just reveals the idolatry of your pride. His name's Hallowed. He's fully sufficient. He's totally sacred. He's totally set apart. You're desperate for his sufficiency. Uh, and then we saw lastly, the third hindrance uh, might be that you're just completely unaware to the spiritual war that's going on right now. <laughs> and listen, I, I got to say, if there's one where I feel like I'm looked at like I have three heads when I say it, it's that one. Like, I don't know if there, there's just some weird, like, northern New Jersey thing. Or what do you mean demonic assault? What do you mean, like, active agents in the spiritual world that hate God's work and hate God's family? What do you mean that's real? I'm telling you, man, if you look back in Scripture, look at what Paul lays before us. It's, man, these people are aggressive. They hate God's work, hate God's family, hate your marriage, hate your soul sanctification. They hate you growing love for God. They hate you wanting your Bible. They hate you wanting to pray. They can't do anything to kill Jesus or deter Jesus. So they'll just go at you with doubt and discouragement knowing that their end is already fixed and finished in hell. So let's just take as many people with us as we can get. I mean, it's because you're blind to that, you never pray. You think it's peacetime, right? We say, man, no, you pray when it's wartime, right? And here's the, here's the lie we all buy. We think it's sometimes peacetime, sometimes wartime. No, it's always wartime. Right now, sitting in your seat is war that you would even engage with a sermon. Like, you realize that? Like, right now, there's even... Things and, and, and doubts being placed in you, wanting to, oh man, maybe this, or I don't know about this, or man, I gotta do this later after service, or man, it's raining outside, do I have an umbrella, and I got so wet walking in here, I'm in a bad mood, and you know what I mean? It's just, it's just loony, right? If you pay attention to it. Some of you guys, and I know how Sunday mornings are, right? I mean, everybody walks in as the perfect church family, right? But really what happened was you got in the car, you're angry, bitter, yelling, muckering, you know, the whole way down, then, oh, hi, Pastor Mike, hey, you know, right? As soon as you walk in the door... Right? I mean, listen, we all get this, so there are other things that are aggressively going after our souls. And if you're unaware of that, then, then you will have no hope for your race. No hope for your race. You will have nothing filling your tank. So prayer is the fuel to get up and walk. 
So let's look at verse 3, where he's going to come off of that, come off of that theme, come off of that drive, right? He says this, he says, give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive everyone who's indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. Here's kind of three things you're going to see, and I just want to say, I'm like not creative, so this was amazing that I, that I had this, so I just want to give it to you. Well, that's cool. Uh, you're going to see three things. God is your supplier. He's your source, right? Um, you're going to see that he's your savior, and you're going to see that he's your safety. Those, those three things. There you go. And if you're a note taker, there it is. One alliteration per year from me, so you got it today. So here's what he says, number one, as you approach him as dad, understanding the weight and beauty of his character and essence, submitting to his kingdom and will, you then say, give me this day my daily bread. Now, this is still God-centered. <laughs> that, that's what's amazing. It's, hey, give me today what is going, not no more than I need and no less than I need so that I will continue to exalt your sufficiency, your hallowedness. I mean, give me just what I need today so that your kingdom will still advance through my life so people will still see the goodness of God in my life. Right? It's, it's not give me, my need, give me my greeds, it's give me my needs, right? If many of us are honest, we go to him with greeds and not needs. He's going, just give me my portion of the day. Give me just what my daily bread is. And this immediately led me to a very common prayer pulled from Proverbs 30. Uh, almost everyone goes here when they read this. And I think Jesus had that in mind as he gave this, as he was teaching them to pray. Uh, this guy, Agur, we don't know much about. He's basically saying the same thing. Look at what he says in Proverbs 30. Two things I ask of you. Deny them not before me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. And then give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and profane the name of my God. His concern is Jesus' concern. It's not his circumstance. It's the name and renown of God. I don't want to profane your name. So listen, hey, man, just whatever you do, two things for I, man, don't make me rich. How many of you guys have prayed that prayer? Right? Yeah, no one, right? I mean, no one's saying, hey, at least give me a little more. At least, yeah, he says, hey, don't give me just riches. Don't make me wealthy. Otherwise, I'm going to forget that you're sufficient. I'm going to think I'm sufficient in myself and all that I have and build up my own kingdom. Forget that your kingdom is supposed to come. And so he just says, please don't make me abundantly wealthy to where I forget I need you. And then he says, hey, at the same time, don't just make me poor. Don't just put me in the, the side of the street with nothing. Otherwise, I might be tempted to steal and, and I might get greedy and my heart might turn over in that way. So protect me from apathy. Protect me from greed. Beautiful what you're seeing in this, in this prayer. This is what Jesus is getting at. We should pray, God, give me what I need like just so that I continue to hallow your name. So I continue to remember that your kingdom is coming, that, that I'm secure with the inexhaustible riches of Jesus. And that's set before me. And I come to you as dad. Just give me my daily needs. Um, you know, I've learned through watching my own heart and just culture and life <laughs> that the vast majority of Americans just spend their money on fantasy. 
right? So, so we, we constantly, because of our discontentment, because of not wanting our daily bread, we think if we get that trinket, we get that toy, we get that thing, that thing will constantly finally fix the ache in your soul that is impossible outside of Jesus making you new. So you just keep putting Band-Aids on, right? And you keep purchasing that new thing. And, or, you know, I, I'm discontent here, so I'll just form a new habit. Maybe this habit will help me with this discontentment I feel. Instead of asking for daily bread, you ask for something else to replace Jesus' daily bread, right? And he's saying that's just a futile way to live. Because you're going to fall into apathy, you're going to fall into greed. And I'm a good dad who knows just what his kids need. And so I'm going to give you your daily bread. I mean, we see this bleed into marriage. Those of us that are married, right, we, we, we become discontent, we become disgruntled, so we start over-romanticizing the past or a past girlfriend or a past spouse, thinking that the one we have now is somehow not as good as somebody else, so they'll be less difficult. And you forget, forget that everybody's a work in progress, right? So, so you're just chasing fantasy, Right, you're, you're actually conjuring up thoughts in your head that are not true. You are just bolstering the past. Oh, it used to be so great there, and in that job, and under that boss. And we always make the past prettier than it really was in the sense of, we think if we go back there, maybe we'll be free from the bondage we feel. And he's saying, let me give you today what you need. Be fixed on today and know that I'm for you. I'm leading you. I'm setting out paths before you. And instead, we don't want daily bread. We want fantasy. We want something else. Whatever's going to fix the ache that is in your heart. And so what we're seeing is him say, God, keep me content. Just give me what I need today. It's a hard prayer. It's a sweet one. And Jesus knows that it's best for our souls. So he says, we pray this way. He's also teaching us in this as we, it is exposes you asking for your needs, not your greeds. It's exposing the idolatry in your heart. It's exposing the motive for your asking. Right? Um, because idolatry just leads to what? Covetousness, which leads to what? Self-absorption. Which leads to what? A life so that you look through the lens of everything, not by how good God is and how gracious he is, that he has given you life, that he's given you lungs, that he's given you feet to walk on, and that you can get around, you can think, feel, act. He's given you a church family, that he's put food on your table, that he's given you a house, that we only look at it through what you don't have, what he hasn't given, but instead of how gracious and good he's been. So when we don't pray this prayer, it exposes the idolatry in your heart and reveals that your focus is off. Right? That you're not looking at God as the all-sufficient supplier. You're thinking, hey, you've been withholding on me, and until you give me that thing, I'll be okay. So even though you have all of that stuff that God has graciously given to you that you didn't deserve, that's an act of mercy, you look around the corner over the fence and say, but they have that, I want that, I don't have that. Right, and so it just, it just exposes right away in your prayers that you're wanting, you're not content. It's a very difficult prayer to pray. It is so beautiful and joy-filled and freeing for us to sit there and be involved in that. That's why he says pray this way. And so instead of our life being built upon what we don't have, instead of God is, God is graciously given, this prayer protects us from idolatry. It protects us from coveting. It protects us from self-absorption. And then he says this, and forgive us our sins for or as, that word's interchangeable, we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. I love it. Jesus says, hey, when you pray, don't just be aware of your physical debt and him as supplier. Be aware of your spiritual debt and him as savior. 
Like he's not just all-sufficient supplier of all your needs. He's actually the one that pays your spiritual debt. He's Savior, right? He forgives us of our sins. And I, I, I love this part, right? Because um, another prayer, another rhythm of prayer that has to be included is confession. It has to be confessing your sin. It has to be talking to God this way. And, and I love this. Jesus is, is here really talking about confessing your sin, the sanctification sense. That's just a big word for being made more like the image of God, being made in holiness. God growing you in the likeness of Jesus Christ. That will only happen fully when we're glorified with him. But, but right now, right, the already not yet we're in, it's progressively walking, being changed, being formed more in the image of the son Jesus. And so that's what's great. I always say for the new Christian and and Christians, repent and believe. Confess your sin. Get up and walk. You don't do that for the gospel to be just saved. You then keep confessing your sin and keep repenting of sin, knowing that he forgives your sin. So the barricade between you and God is constantly broken down through the mediator of Jesus. You don't walk in guilt. You don't walk in shame. Not just because he justified you once, but because you continue to walk as he grows and sanctifies and saves you. So he says regularly, we confess our sins. Now, for the Christian, this reveals a, a possible hindrance for you in not praying is unconfessed sin. I mean, Psalm 66, I think it's verse 18, will say, if you harbor sin in your heart, don't confess that, sovereign God won't listen. Now, listen, that's terrifying. Some of you guys are going, man, I don't understand. I've, I've met with many. I'm pleading with God. I'm asking God. And then as soon as we start getting that, what was there? Unconfessed sin is there. Are you harboring something? Well, yeah. Okay. Let's deal with that. God will forgive that sin. You need to go talk to your brother or sister. Go talk to him. Let's, let's work that out and then he'll hear you. I think a big hindrance to many of our prayers is unconf- unconfessed sin. So when we pray to confess our sins, we're to do it biblically, right? Because our confession, right, our prayers are birthed out of an awareness of our sin, that we have belittled the name of God, that we have not hallowed his name, that sin is serious, that he is holy and we are not, it's not just to ease your conscience, right? Like, it's not just to get it off your mind. Like, we don't confess sins, oh, good, it's just finally off. No, we confess our sins so we don't keep dirtying our souls by continually laying before God requests and we ourselves withholding something or sinning against him, not confessing it, not walking in the light. So he says, hey, confess your sins and then let's keep talking. Now, we for, you confess your sin in communication. I mean the petitions. I mean the asking. This is why in 1 Peter 3, right, terrifying verse to husbands who are harsh with their wives. If you're cruel, if you're demeaning, if you yell, if you abuse, hey, you better repent of that sin to her and confess that to God before you do anything. Otherwise, your prayers are going to be totally hindered, Peter says. I ain't listening. Go deal with that. Go say you're sorry. Go love her well. Go give her a hug. Say, I've been, I've been aggressive. I've been harsh. I'm sorry. And then, and then you, and, you and your father can chat. And so he's showing us we confess our sins because our heart breaks, because God's been so good to us and so beautiful to us, yet we keep belittling his name in heart and action. So it's not I'm going to pray because I feel bad. It's I'm going to pray because I've belittled his name. I've offended him. Right, this is David in Psalm 51. Right, I mean, after adultery, he, doesn't, he says, against you only have I sinned. Did he sin against Bathsheba? Yes. Did he sin against everyone else, her husband? Yes. But man, he says, ultimately at the end of the day, it's about me and God. I've offended his name. I've harmed the image of God. 
And so he repents of that sin and he asks for forgiveness. You see this in 2 Corinthians 7. I love this text showing us how to confess our sins to God and to others. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. So here's, here's worldly grief. Here's just bad confession. I've made a mess of my life. I hate that I messed, made a mess of my life, so I'm going to confess it. I'm just going to ease my conscience. I just want to get it off my mind. He says that just leads to more death. That doesn't lead to restoration. That doesn't lead, that isn't a repentance, a turning from that sin that leads to life. That's just you feeling bad about something you did. And I say this all the time. Christians and non-Christians feel bad about sin. Oh, well, they're a Christian because they're, they're convicted over their sin. Yeah, everyone is to an extent, different levels. But true repentance to God looks different. So just because they say they're sorry, a non-Christian can say they're sorry, but it's never birthed out of I've offended a holy God of the universe. It's never birthed out of I'm aware that I've tried to establish my kingdom and I have idolatry in my heart and I've been worshiping myself over him. It's always birthed just out of let me ease my conscience. Let me just kind of get that off my mind. That's the difference in worldly repentance and godly repentance. So the Christian says, I'm repenting and turning from this thing because I've grieved my dad. I've grieved the hallowed one. Man, you've got a kingdom that's going to be ruled and established, and I better turn from that. That's where it all starts from. That's where it all stems from. And that repentance says, I'm not going to live this way any longer. It produces change. Um, you know, there, there's a real serious error in, in American churches, and, and it seeps in everywhere. Um, and it's, it's this idea that moral behavior gets you right before God. So even in our praying, our praying is trying to produce in us moral behavior. So we think even a prayer, by nature of the prayer, is what makes us right before God. But understand, this prayer is directed at Christians who are praying, who have already been saved. So it's birthed from us already being regenerated. It's like Luke 18. If you guys have read Luke 18, it's this beautiful, beautiful, amazing picture of the Pharisee that, that believes this system. He comes to Jesus, and he goes, man, I'm so glad I don't screw up like all those people screw up. And Jesus goes, well, only, only one way someone's made right with God is the guy who says, help me, I'm a sinner. He goes, that guy walked away justified. Not the guy who had all the prayers and confessed his sin regularly. The one who understood that Jesus alone makes him right before God. And so I, I think that... If you don't see your sin as serious, you don't see any need for the cross, and you see it just a moral code or a ritual, you'll never plead and cry out to God like you should. It'll always be a barrier to your prayers. Um, I think others, others of us struggle with prayer because we really think if we get near God, he'll just beat us up. And we don't want him pointing out things that he's going to point out. And my encouragement to you is, if that's your understanding. If unconfessed sin keeps you from coming to God and confessing sin and praying, then you have a misunderstanding of the gospel. Because the gospel fundamentally says you come to him as a sinner. It's not, hey, when you pray, pray with me, all fixed up, all clean. It's with no broken heart, with no messy lanes, with no places to be fixed. No, you come to him as a sinner saying, I need your help. Like, I need you to fix these areas. I need to realign my heart. I mean, I don't, I don't ask for my daily needs. I've forgotten your dad. I mean, I've forgotten your name is hallowed and sacred. and forgotten the weight and beauty of your name. Will you, will you put me back in that seat? I've forgotten that you have a kingdom that will come, that will advance. That you've got a will to be done. That I've been trying to do my own thing and live my own life. I mean, this is beautiful. So we have an understanding of the gospel that says we come to him as a sinner. 
And that's good news for us, brothers and sisters, because it's invitation. Weary sinners, big, goofy, beautiful mess we are that can approach the throne of grace and confess sin, and God is eager to forgive. So we come honestly. When's the last time you prayed honestly? Think about that. Lord, you're all I want. There's nothing else beside. Really? Is it? Or is it, I feel far off today. Man, I'm, I'm angry. I've got rage. I'm frustrated. I, I don't even sense you. I feel like I'm looking at the Bible and it's just dull and bland and boring. I feel like you've abandoned me. Would you help me? How do you, when was the last time you prayed an honest prayer? Because that understands the gospel of Jesus Christ. Help me. Help me, Lord. I'm needy. Help me. That's why I'm talking to you. I, I can't give myself anything. You made me. So you're the supplier of everything, even helping me to walk straight now. So let me keep leaning into you. Some of you guys are going, man, I'm not a Christian. I don't know why you need to confess your sins to God. right? I don't know why you need to. I mean, that just terrifies me. And so there is also an aspect of justification in us confessing sin. So maybe for you this morning, that is, hey, I need to pray to confess my sin to be made right with God in the justification sense. That's just being declared righteous before him. Because what happens is the Bible says that, hey, as we go about our day, as we go about our life, since birth, by choice, nature, and action, we are sinners. So we begin incurring a debt, right? This debt that Jesus alone pays. So it's not like material debt that goes away over time. It's spiritual debt that incurs immeasurably until glory. And so as this debt is, now a lot of you guys know what that's like, right? I mean, we, we all live in some kind of debt, right? So you get that credit card loan bill, or you get that student loan bill, or you get that, you know, payment on your house loan, the paying off the mortgage, whatever it is, right? But you see that debt go down. There's always a reckoning of what you owe. And spiritually speaking, that debt just continues to grow and doesn't go away. So as we confess our sins, as we see God as holy, as us being not, some of us find so many ways to pay off your debt, spiritually speaking. You try to pay it off just like your material debt. So some of you guys use religion to pay off your debt. Well, I'll just go to church and try to stop sinning. And then you realize, wow, I can't stop sinning. And I'm trying not to sin apart from grace, apart from Christ. Now I'm becoming a Pharisee and super religious, which is what God hates. And I'm back at square one. Others of you are like, man, I don't know, maybe I'll try another system. Maybe I'll try karma. I'll just come back someday and pay off my debt. Well, that's loony because if that were possible, you'd keep sinning when you came back. So you never pay it off. And then some of you guys are like, well, I'll just pay it off with just doing good works, doing good deeds. Now you're just right back around the circle to be religious again. There's only one person that pays your debt, and that's Jesus. But every belief system will say you pay your debt back to God through reincarnation, through suffering, through paying or giving more money or doing this chant or saying... In Christianity, it says Jesus pays the debt. Jesus goes to the cross as your substitute in your place. He takes on the debt you owe for your immeasurable debt, which is the full weight and wrath of God towards you in your sin. He bears all of that. And here's, here's the beauty of Jesus paying your debt for us as Christians and for you who's not a Christian, right? When you are forgiven of a debt, what happens? The person who forgives you incurs it, right? Like your debt doesn't go away. If someone said, hey, I'm going to pay off your mortgage. Sweet. Number one. Number two, that person doesn't just make it vanish. They incur it, right? They have to pay it off. Well, here's the beautiful thing. Your debt that was immeasurable, that deserved wrath and damnation, Jesus says, it doesn't just vanish. He, he incurs it. 
That's the substitution of Jesus Christ on the cross. He actually takes your debt for you, your immeasurably infinite incurred debt, and then he credits you his infinite incurred righteousness to show you through his resurrection, I validated your debt, it's paid in full. That's why he says on the cross, it's finished. And so now we walk as freed men and women, not as men and women that are still in bondage trying to cancel our debt through religion and through karma and through reincarnation and through suffering and through, no, through Jesus. That's great news. I always say the good news of being a Christian is not that you get to be a nicer person. That's awful news. The good news is your debt is paid and you're free. You know, maybe some of us have bought the lie that you only have a little bit of debt that you owe God, right? So you do that scale of comparison. I mean, compared to ISIS, Donald Trump, I'm pretty good, right? You just got this nice scale where you're like, man, I'm doing, well, that's enough for, that's enough for hell, right? But you pay God back two ways, either hell or the slaughtering of Jesus Christ. And so you can either be in the slaughtering of Jesus Christ as he warms you and clothes you with his bloodshed, his body broken for you, or... You can get right damnation and justice. Either way, a holy God is just and good in what he does. And he's also merciful and kind and loving and demonstrated in the cross of Jesus Christ. Look at what, let's keep going. I could stay there for a while. Let's keep. Then he says, forgive us our sins for, that's interchangeable like as, we forgive those who sin against us. Okay, this one scared me. How many times have you prayed? How many times have you prayed anything you didn't even know what you were praying? You know what I'm talking about? We gotta stop just praying these prayers without even knowing what we're praying. I mean, how many of you guys actually prayed, hey, give me my daily bread? You weren't really too thrilled about it when you actually did it, though, right? I mean, I mean he says, hey, our heart is, hey, God, forgive me like I forgive other people. Okay, now we're getting somewhere. Hey, forgive me as I've forgiven those who are indebted to me. What would that look like for you? See, it's an impossible prayer to pray. Hey, God, forgive me while you say I'm not going to forgive them. Because you do not understand the weight and depth of the treason against a holy, hallowed, infinite God. And until you see the scandalous grace of him covering you in his sin and paying your immeasurable infinite debt, will you ever be able to forgive the most horrific sins committed against you that will never compare to what you've committed against God? You know, no sin, no sin committed against you ever, and I can say this with full confidence, not that will be committed against you or has been committed against you is even near as serious as the sin you've committed against a holy, supreme, wise God. So you let that humble you. You receive the vertical forgiveness in Jesus to throw horizontally what you need to to those who he's sown you with. Now, we could go into things forever. I mean, Forgiveness isn't just trusting. Again, that's built. Forgiveness is not necessarily reconciliation. You can only do your part. Forgiveness doesn't mean you just forget about it. Sometimes it takes years and years and years. But it's a freeing people from that debt that you're holding them to. It's an understanding of what God has done. Let me, let me just say this because um, I, I feel like I, I see this all the time in counseling others. 
um, if you choose unforgiveness, it will always lead to bitterness. Because what happens is you're going to become just like the person who hurt you. Because your root is going to go down as the same root that hurt you and them. And all of a sudden you're going to be looking in the mirror one day down the road going, man, I've been holding this resentment I haven't forgiven. I've been thinking that they owe me a debt and I've forgotten the debt that Jesus owed me. And so you've been incurring in them. You've been building up this debt that they could never pay off. And all of a sudden you look in the mirror and you're just like them. And so your unforgiveness has led to bitterness to where you've got this root that you can't get rid of until you forgive. A lot this prayer does, huh? Lord's Prayer is a good prayer. Some of you are like, not anymore. <laughs> Beautiful, right? So let, let's, let's land the plane as he kind of ends this thing. He ends this section with lead us not in temptation. So not only is God your supreme supplier, the giver of all things, not only is he your savior, is he your refuge when you pray, but he's also your safety. He's a good dad that's going to take you by the hand and not lead you into temptation. He's never going to leave you where you're going to be destroyed. Now, now here's my first question before we pray this prayer. Do you really not want to be led into temptation? Because for some of us, you really kind of like it. If I'm honest, I don't really want to pray this prayer. You've prayed it a hundred times. Man, Lord, don't lead me into what harms me. Keep my eyes fully aware of the sin that entangles, the sin that destroys, the sin that dwindles my joy. Man, keep me far from this. Don't lead me into temptation. He is, he is our safety. I love this. And this is a huge reason why we pray. It's in those moments you have a God who's a father, who's hallowed and sacred, who's available for help. I mean, how many times, if you're, if you're a Christian, if you wanted to just do something, fall prey to a temptation, flirt, lust, whatever it is, you know, have all this greed, covetous heart, and you've actually practiced, and actually in that moment said, man, God help me, lead me away from this temptation. Now, let me just throw on the screen that verse is just classic, and I think misused. 1 Corinthians 10, uh, go to the next slide and then the next one, yeah. Okay, let's read this for a second. I want to see how this plays out in our life, right? No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. Okay, who's faithful? You? No, God. Okay, all right. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will always provide the way of escape that you might be able to endure it. Okay, many of us read this text and go, see, God's never going to lay before me, put in my life anything I can't handle. He's never going to put anything in my life that's going to weigh on me to where I'm just broken and I can't. No, he says, hold on a second. He says, hold on. God's faithful and he'll always give you the ability. You know what the ability is? It's Jesus. It's choosing Jesus and not your sin and your temptation. And every single one of us in this room who is indwelled by the Holy Spirit has the absolute ability to say yes to Jesus and no to sin. So it's not about, well, you're just giving me too much so I can't withhold this so I'm going to judge your character. It's hold on a second. No, no. He says he's faithful, not you. And he has given everyone who's a Christian the ability to turn from temptation. You know what that ability is? You know what that way out is? Jesus. And it's always there. Some of you are like, I don't know. I'm in this sin, but I just don't see the way out. Right? It's Jesus every time. It's, it's choosing. It, I mean, this is literal, practical, in the moment, God 
deliver me. God, help me to choose Jesus. The pure in heart will see God. I want to see God. I want to believe that promise. Help me right in this moment to turn off the computer, to throw it out the window, to run away from my office, not near this woman who's flirting with me. I mean, right now, give me the ability to say no to sin and yes to Jesus and go. You, you have the full ability to do that. And it's just you copping out if you say you can't. If you're a Christian. Can I graciously encourage you in that? That every single, this is, a, this is a promise. Isn't that beautiful? So when we fall prey to sin, when we don't do 2 Corinthians 10.5, take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. When we don't do that, we are not choosing Jesus. We are not following our way out. And we are not trusting in the ability the Holy Spirit's given us to run from sin. And this all circles back to you because he's a good dad going, I know this is best for my soul. I know this will lead to greater joy, greater intimacy, no, no regret, no guilt, no shame. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to choose you trusting this is better for me. And all of us know when we've chosen sin instead, when we've let temptation just rack our souls, that it only leads to more anger and bitterness and frustration. You run the cul-de-sac of rage where you blame everybody else. And we all know that. You know it doesn't win out for you, yet you buy the lie that that temporary fantasy will somehow inexhaustibly last, and it never lasts until you choose Jesus. Don't lead me into temptation. That's a, that's a right prayer to pray. We should pray it daily. We should pray, forgive me my sins daily. And here's what's... What's beautiful is this is setting your mind on God's ability not yours. God is faithful. He gave you the ability. He gave you Jesus as your way out. He's killing the sin, the residual effects of the fall that reign in your mortal body. When was the last time you woke up and said, God, keep me so keenly aware today of the things that are going to vie for my soul? Like, keep me so aware of temptations, the subtle ones, the big ones, the Help me to walk in grace. Help me to choose you. Help me to walk in life. God, help me. That's a great prayer to pray because it sets your mind on that throughout the day. I'm usually much more aware of those things than when I don't. And I love this too. Praying this way demonstrates that Jesus doesn't simply save people from the penalty of sin. Right? I mean, many of us think, okay, and that's, that's right and true. He saves you from the penalty of sin. But he saves you from sin itself. Like he saves you from when you leave this room and you're tempted to sin. He saves you from literal sin an hour from now. That will want to just ravage your soul, get your body in, in bondage to it. I mean, that's just amazing, man. We've been set free. It's no longer our master. We have a good master who we can go to and choose who's a good father. Just there are so many things we could see in this, in this text. So he doesn't just die to forgive you. He dies to give you the ability to choose him in temptation. To go the way out. This is just filled with good news. I love this, this last phrase too because it's acknowledging even there are Christian men and Christian women who are lured into unrighteousness. Who are being tempted. Who don't have it all figured out. Who need help. It's just acknowledgement you're in a good, good room with good company. That all of us struggle with temptation and struggle with and desperately need him. You know, it's amazing. I was thinking about um, this because the prayer is still God-centered. <laughs> the prayer is still not about you. It's still all about him and all about his ability and all about his 
supreme name. I thought about this. If you could sum up the Lord's Prayer so far, I thought there's two words you could say. If you were to just sum it up through verse 4. Help me. If you're like, I don't, I don't know what the, help me. God, help me. I don't see you as father. I don't believe you're good. I've been pasting my earthly father images, experiences onto you. I know they're not right. Help me to see the scriptures and trust who you are and how you look as Abba, as Daddy, as intimate, as welcoming. God, I don't believe your name is hallowed. I have believed my name is to be hallowed. I've forgotten your sacredness, your holiness, your weight and beauty. Would you, would you remind me of that? God, help me. Your kingdom's coming. I've been unaware of your kingdom. I've been advancing my own. I haven't been participating in your work. I've forgotten the privilege and joy it is to be called up in what is the church. Would you help me? I mean, we go on and on. God, help me. Forgive me of my sin. I keep sinning. God, thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you that my merits don't achieve anything and my works don't achieve anything that Jesus alone achieves it for me. God, help me. I'm harboring unforgiveness. I'm getting a bitter root. God, help me forgive this person. Help me walk in freedom. God, I mean, you just keep on lying. Help me with temptation. I'm so weak. I'm so feeble. I'm running after every last longing and, and trinket and toy and treasure and pleasure and habit. Help me walk the straight path. Help me to choose you and not sin today. I mean, that's just the message. Isn't that great? As Christians, like we can all just acknowledge here in this room that no one's like better, worse, off. I mean, as Christians, our mantra is God help me and keep helping me. You know what's amazing and glory? You won't need any help. Right? We're reigning with God and God with man. You won't need an ounce of help. You won't need to be led away from temptation. You won't need daily bread because you'll be feasting with the lamb inexhaustibly. You won't need to wonder what the kingdom's doing or building up your own because you're going to be in the eternal kingdom, witnessing it, enjoying it. You're not going to wonder what he's like as dad. He's going to be right with you as dad. You're not going to have to be reminded of his sacredness and his hallowedness. You'll be with the presence of God, beholding him who was in unapproachable light, who now you can approach in light because you're glorified in its fullness. You won't have to wonder anything. You'll be able to just reign and rule. I just don't know what, I just, I don't know what else to say. I, this is, this is just so, this prayer is just beautiful. That's why it's his prayer. Because it's a perfect prayer. I can't teach it perfectly. I'm not saying that. I'm saying there are things I'm sure I am missing and I will never uncover. And, but Jesus is showing us, again, this isn't a formula, it's a structure. It's not say these words and they hold religious magical power. It's pray in this way. It's remember these things. And it will be good for our souls. You know, I want to just say this last thing. Um, we don't have time to unpack it. But each of these petitions, each of these things you're asking for is tied to a divine promise. So when you pray, you're asking for what God has already promised. You're just saying, God, do what you said you would do. You said you'd forgive me my sin if I confess my sin. You're faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do what you said you would do from a humble, contrite heart. God, you said that I will supply all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. You promised me you'd give me my daily bread. So, God, would you keep doing that? God, you promised to be the ability to lead me away from temptation. Would you keep doing that? God, you promised me that you are my father if I am in Christ. So would you keep being my dad? Isn't that awesome? Like you're not praying for something new. You're praying for something that's tethered to a divine promise that God has already promised. That's why in Psalm 37 he says, hey, I've never seen God's people begging for bread. Because it's answered in the promise again in the New Testament, Philippians 4. 
I know, because God supplies all of our needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. We know he's going to feed us, guys. We know he's going to forgive us. We know he's going to protect us and direct our paths that produce righteousness and not sin. We're just praying for what he's already promised. What a beautiful prayer. God, help us. Let's pray. God, thank you that you're a God who is a God that, that gives and gives and gives and gives. God, I pray if there's anyone in this room who's not a Christian, who has maybe had disenfranchised or wrong thoughts about the God of the Bible, the God of the universe, that you clear those up, that you would help make straight for them the beauty and glory that is your name, that is your work. God, would you produce in them a godly sorrow that leads to repentance, that leads to life. God, would those of us who are Christians continue to walk in godly repentance and godly sorrow, remembering that we've offended you. God, would you just preserve some in this room who are withholding forgiveness that's leading to bitterness. Would you restore them? God, would you help many of us who you've readily exposed idolatry and covetousness and self-absorption. Would you keep us content with the daily bread you give us, no more, no less. God, for those of us entangled in temptation, would you remind us of your promise that we do have the ability through the Holy Spirit of God to say no to sin and yes to Jesus, that we would walk in it, that we would actively and aggressively say no to sin, not apart from grace, not apart from Christ, but sown to grace and sown to Christ. God, save some this morning. And God, as we observe the Lord's Supper, we, we remember the preciousness of your body broken, bloodshed that, that took the debt that was incurred and reckoned it to God and gifted us your righteousness. May we celebrate that this morning in Jesus' name, amen.